1: Get ready for Mind Shock with Dr.
0: Ron Dalrymple, the premier podcast in the world bringing you hidden truths
1: about your mind's incredible powers. Get ready to free your your mind. mind.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mind Shock. Dr. Ron Dalrymple, the show will take you to the outer limits of your mind and to the inner limits, the true final frontier. Our theme for this show is evolution of the supermind. I began working at NASA at 17 years old where we put people in space, which we called back then the final frontier. But at 19 years old while at NASA, I made a discovery that if we considered the mind to be an energy field that transcends the physical brain, then the true final frontier is inner space, the exploration of the true powers of mind. So our mission is to take you to the true outer limits of inner space. Think about that, folks, the outer limits of inner space. In today's chaotic world, there's revolution sweeping the globe about who we are and what we are doing here. A mind revolution is changing everything. Whole new theories of mind that turn old science on its head. Old science is three-dimensional and limited to the physical senses. We're developing new models of science that consider n dimensions as the letter n, that's a mathematical term, as n approaches infinity. Today we have a great guest, Alan Weiss, with his book, Your Legacy is Now. Alan, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, Ron, how are you doing?
2: Great, great, I enjoyed reading your book about legacy and whatnot, a lot of fascinating concepts. We often start by asking folks to tell us how you started upon this path in life that brought you to this point here. How did it all begin for you?
1: Well, do you mean my career or do you mean this book? Uh, let's see your career. Let's go way back. How long Okay, again? let's see if we have enough time to do. It. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, I was uh, yeah. working in prudential insurance. Was bored out of my mind. Uh, I was recruited by a, a consulting firm in Princeton. Uh, worked there for eleven years and got to travel the world on their dime and, and learn uh, all about major companies. We worked with Fortune 500. Uh, I came up to Providence to become president of a behavioral consulting firm. And was fired after a year and a half. The owner and I hated each other. And uh, I went out on my own. And uh, I said to myself, no moron will ever fire me again. So I I launched my own business and I made some mistakes. But I realized two things. One, this is a relationship business. And second, you only charge based on value, never a time unit. Uh, And uh, 60-some-odd books later in 15 languages, uh, I've got the strongest solo consulting brand in the world. And uh, I've been examining why people succeed and don't succeed. Uh, and at this stage of my life I decided to write about legacy because people seem to feel that's what happens when you die, but really it's what happens every day.
2: Right. So legacy is ongoing from what you're doing right now. Exactly. I think it's a great concept. So, so you create, thinking about that, you know, how I,
1: would you... I'm sorry, go ahead. Think that they have to get put together some kind of memorial service over a casket, but the fact is somebody's writing that page in your book every day, and it better be you, not somebody else.
2: Yeah, exactly. Write your own legacy, create it while you go along. It's really great. What would you say are some of the greatest secrets of the most successful people in the world?
1: Well, I think the most successful people in the world are people who have a calling. And so if you look at somebody like uh, Mother Teresa, she had a calling to help the poor. Gandhi had a calling to help the poor. But uh, scientists have callings to uh, cure illness and to contribute to... Uh, the betterment of, of uh, societal health. Uh, even politicians, and I say even advisedly, have a calling to protect the people for whom they're responsible. I think Winston Churchill had a calling. I think Franklin Roosevelt had a calling. Uh, religious leaders mm-hmm. supposedly should have a calling. Clearly, Martin Luther King did. Uh, and so we see this on a smaller level, on a microcosm in communities. You don't have to be a worldwide figure. You can be somebody in the community who helps with youth, uh, who helps with drug addiction, uh, who starts entrepreneurs on their way. Uh, I can still remember every one of my grammar school teachers, every single one. I can't remember my high school teachers, my college teachers, or my graduate school teachers, but I can remember every grammar school teacher because they had a calling in those days, and they made a lasting impression on my life.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, you know that in your book, things are very, very interesting. You had a second-grade teacher, Mrs. Gallagher, i still remember her. In the first grade, I started... First grade five years old, wasn't focused at all. So second grade six. She she told me the first week of school, what you do now will influence and determine the rest of your life. So then I studied and worked hard at it because I knew knew she was right because by then I got it. But first grade, I didn't get it. So I hear what you're saying. So you remember every teacher from grammar school. That's really powerful.
1: Yeah, it is. They all influence you. Yeah, go ahead. You don't don't realize the time, but boy, do you realize it later. They taught me how to read and write. And today, you know, I'm a writer. Uh, and today I'm a reader, and today I'm a speaker, and they taught me these skills. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So they inspire you at young age, hopefully in a really positive way, such a powerful mm-hmm. thing because so many folks go through dysfunctional childhoods, where they're treated in an abusive way and neglectful, Yes. You know, some of those folks become the greatest successes in the world as well.
1: Well so exactly, amazing, they has to it? overcome the, the obstacles, but they can. But you know more than that, uh, a, a lot of teachers today don't see teaching as a calling. Uh, they see it as mm-hmm. a job. Uh, they right. see it as being a member of a union, and uh, yeah. and they're not impacting kids the same way at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see a lot of uh,
2: teachers in my practice, and they they come in with a lot of frustration due to the administration because now these organizations are so administration heavy with rules and regulations and control. that have lost autonomy, a lot of them have lost the spark. But some still try to keep that spark. Some still hang in there and fight and try their best. You know, I hear what you're saying. So how do you feel about that, the massive growing administration, restrictions, and the corporate structure keeps evolving, more centralized, more powerful? What do you think about that?
1: Well, I think that um, while you need a certain amount of order to run organizations of any kind, for-profit, non-profit, and so forth, Mm -hmm. I think we've become sort of obsessed with management and supervision. You know, what people need is agency. They need the ability to make decisions with some latitude of action to be recognized for their talents, recognized for their contribution to have the freedom to fail. Uh, And, you know, we all get frustrated when we deal with the government or with certain large companies, and uh, there are bureaucratic rules on top of bureaucratic rules. Sometimes they catch 22, you know, go left, but we won't allow you to go left. Go right, but you have to go left first, and so on and so forth. So, you know, I think organizations that are really enlightened trust people. And they allow people to make independent decisions, knowing that they understand what's good for the organization as well. But organizations mm-hmm. that are paranoid or paternal who mm-hmm. feel that people can't make mm-hmm. their own decisions. They treat them like children. Those are those are right. terrible places to work. Right. Exactly.
2: I bet you've seen all kinds, haven't
1: you? I you have. In, in, in Fortune yeah. 500 companies, and mom and pop companies, and in, in for-profits and non-profits, and arts groups, in schools, uh, and you know, nothing in an organization that people read or hear do they believe. They only believe what they see. And what I've tried to tell the leaders whom I've coached is that you are an exemplar and people will follow you. The way you act is the way they will act. And so if you say, you know, customers are our most important asset, but a customer calls and you say, I'm not going to take that call, they don't believe what you said. They only believe what they see.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's an important point that the leader does set the example that people will follow and imitate through modeling that be good, bad, or indifferent. They unconsciously will do things which can throw off the organization. And much of that ties back to emotional intelligence. I'm sure you come across that concept quite often, eh?
1: Yeah, I think that that, uh, that um, people have to um, have to understand that not everybody has the same degree of maturity. They don't have the same degree of perspective or experiences, whether it's, intellectual or emotional or otherwise Uh, and consequently they really look to leadership to tell them how they should be acting they need help going through a a journey of ambiguity Uh, and so a leader gives off two messages one message is the content of what he or she says but the other content the other excuse me the other message is how they say it
2: what they do yeah how they act exactly so people follow the leader literally right we find that emotional intelligence interact so much with leadership ability or the lack of it that many folks, for example, can be very smart and have a very high IQ. They might have a very low EQ or understanding the emotions of other people. So that gets into a lot of
1: trouble. Well, one of the reasons I wrote Legacy is that, you know, I've been writing my prior book to that was called Fearless Leadership, and I I look at people's sense of self-esteem. And Mm. what I found was that, you know, a a great many people have low self-esteem they don't feel worthy and even though they're efficacious at things they can do things well they feel like imposters uh, and people have to build their self esteem so that they they gain more confidence they realize they're a person of worth and they're more resilient
0: mm-hmm.
2: exactly you to believe in themselves really embrace that and also believe in the other person and try to convey that understanding to them to help build them up mm-hmm. really it's a powerful thing and if they have low self-esteem negative self-image they often fixate upon various negative beliefs and the negative feelings that go with it. And that fixation causes those problems to detoxify your organization.
1: Well, they also want excessive well. guarantees and they don't take risks. And so, you know, innovation is the through line today, you know, coming out of this uh, pandemic. I've, I've trademarked the phrase called no normal. You know, we're in an age of no normal, not new normal. That's an oxymoron. And the fact is that uh, people have to be innovative to succeed today, so do organizations. And to be innovative, you have to have high esteem. You have to feel good about yourself. You have to be willing to take prudent risk.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think innovation is really powerful. You see some of the greatest inventors throughout history were able to tap into those higher levels of mind and access that inner self, you know, like Nikolai Tesla, Edison, Mozart, some of the greatest creative people, can access his, his insights and whatnot and draw upon that for ideas and inspiration.
1: Well, look like at how they all failed. Yeah. You know, the greatest home run hitters have the most strikeouts. You know, Babe Ruth the right. league in home runs every year, also those league in strikeouts. Yep. You know, if you don't take exactly. a big swing, you're not going to hit a home run. You might strike out, but you only get a home run if right. you take a big swing.
2: Yeah, exactly. You are actually fascinated by Ted Williams, who, who studied, you seen it from a mirror, and watched himself swing for hours at a time. Calculating every type of pitch, how he'd swing at it, what he'd do was he'd say in physics. He learned that F equals MA forces mass times acceleration. So he'd snap his wrist into the swing, so he jumped a the level of comprehension, both just just mass times velocity giving momentum, but much more force is delivered by snapping his wrist like people do in martial arts, twisting your body, snapping the wrist, you give it a lot more force, so he jumped jump the level of insight to get a much more creative result, so he became, of course, a home run king and a hit, a, you know, a champion. Well, another
1: thing about him is he was the last player to hit over 400. And he had the option to sit out the last uh, game of the season and preserve it. He was yeah. hitting 401. And the manager said, you should you right. sit out you know, preserve your, your status. He said, no, no, I'm playing. And he got, I think he got two hits. Uh, I've always admired that about him.
2: Yeah, he got well, six out of eight hits that last game, two for 400 to 401. Pretty amazing, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but
1: he had that winner's attitude. Why would I Whatever, out the game? Are you kidding? No way.
2: I'm going to play.
1: Well, and he had high self-esteem. If he finished at 399,
2: so what? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He knew you never give up. You keep trying, keep improving, keep getting better and better. Babe Ruth was amazing, too. He'd come to, allegedly, some games the night before, partying a little bit, wearing a fur coat, and second inning, he comes (laughs) into the ballpark. Manage was really angry at him. You go up to bat, hit a home run. So what did he do, right? Again, the high self-esteem, the ability, right? That's right.
1: Not not steroids, no. high self
2: esteem. I'm sorry,
1: what? Not steroids, high self esteem. Oh yeah, high self
2: esteem, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's amazing. It's what these guys can do. So a positive self image, believing in yourself, high self esteem really does help lift a person up. Get back to the leadership concept. What else have you seen in terms of leadership going off course? What are some more examples of that?
1: Well, I think this whole aspect of consensus leadership and servant leadership Uh, I just don't believe in it, because I've never seen it work. Leaders are put in that place because people need guidance. They need confidence. Uh, They don't want the leaders to surrender his or her decision-making prerogative. Uh, They don't need everybody to be happy. A lot of decisions leaders have to make are tough decisions, tough love. Uh, A lot of people have to be fired, not because of of cutbacks, but because they're not performing. And I've had to tell a lot of leaders, you know, you'll do that person more of a favor if you fire them than if you keep them here as some kind of pariah and so i i think that the the uh, belief that leadership should be uh, by by committee uh and and mm-hmm. servant leadership is foolish you know it might sell a few books but it's not something that works in life mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. that's right tough love It's a good concept yeah just in the home and family yeah Sometimes times you got to do it for good organization and for that person well, you know, well, some,
1: you know empathy is feeling what somebody else feels, and sympathy is uh, sort of having pity for them, feeling sorry for them. Right. I think tough love is empathy without the sympathy. You know, you have to face mm-hmm. people up. And, and the, the fact is that we all endure pain. You know, right, Ron? All of us have pain in our lives at times, but suffering is voluntary. Uh, and so we can choose to stop suffering, you know, with our lives.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. yeah. You also mentioned that, uh, I think it's really true, and Churchill said it, Success is never final, and failure is seldom fatal, right? So if they get off course, the firing might help them get back on course because, well, I did something wrong. How can I improve that? What can I do better next time?
1: And yeah, what he said right. at the end was it's courage that counts. Yep, that's right. That's right.
2: So really his mental attitude determines so much that happens in life, and of course in the corporate world, you can see that at all levels. You know, when you go into to do coaching, you often start with the top people, you kind of work your way down, and... I influence them in a very positive way. I'm really, really fascinated by the fact that, that the, the self-esteem issues and that the emotional intelligence is so important in this work. I see it all the time doing therapy with folks as well. They often get off course by various fixations of thoughts and beliefs because they're not accessing the true abilities. They don't believe in themselves. They feel like the imposter, as you mentioned, imposter syndrome. So they hold themselves back and create self-defeat. And so well, the way so we
1: success. talk to ourselves informs our behavior. So the kind of self-talk we use, the kind of language we use, uh, determines how we act, and that's how other people see us, how they judge yeah. us, you know, the, the mm-hmm. manifestation of, of, uh, in our behaviors mm-hmm. of what we're thinking and how we're talking to ourselves. Uh, and that's why, yeah. you know, part of self-esteem is, is treating ourselves better, talking to ourselves better. I tell people I have to have a healthy selfishness. It's like the oxygen mask rules on the airplane. You know, take care of yourself first, then you can help others.
2: Uh, And that's what we have to do. Yeah, that's very true. There's also the issue that often in the corporate world or even families or situations, you have those who are actually trying to sabotage you. So what do you tell folks about that when you work with leaders? There are some folks who are, you know, definitely have it in for you. What do you tell them? The, The people who definitely, would you say, have it in for people? Yeah, no. In other words, the leader will have certain people who are not just competitive, they're being very manipulative, and they're there to sabotage them, stab in the back any way they can.
1: Right. Well, these no. people basically are, are insecure, uh, and so they don't feel they can win based on their talent. They feel they have to undermine others. It's the same way a bully operates, as you know. You know, bullies try to draw people down to their own level of perceived inferiority. And so, mm-hmm. what you have to do with people like that is confront them. And uh, right leaders who are servant leaders leaders who believe in consensus they try to make everybody happy they try to sing kumbaya but a leader's real job is to confront people who are undermining others uh, and to say to Mm -hmm. them this is your behavior and this is why the behavior is inappropriate and this has to stop and if they don't Mm -hmm. stop then you have to take action you either have to you know move them or get rid of them Uh, but that's those are the things a leader has to do and once you do that once or twice you set the music Mm -hmm. and uh, people understand What's going to happen. So that's why I say they believe what they see, not what they hear or read.
2: Right, yeah. I knew a guy who was in the Marine Corps for 28 years. He made an E 9, Master Sergeant. He said he'd come onto a base, there'd be like 2,200 Marines there. The first thing he would do would be to find out who the toxic influences were, who the troublemakers were. These usually like one, one, or two, or three, or four who the ringleaders. You find out about them, you confront them, talk to them if necessary, you send them out to another base, you break them up. Yeah. And then others, of course, as you said, will get the message, right, to, to start performing at a higher level or else there are consequences. Right. I think you're exactly right. Tough love. You have to use it. Yeah. What else do you say you learn from those, those fascinating years working with these Fortune 500 types?
1: Tough well, you the guys. know, there's the same degree of emotionalism and politics and uncertainty and so forth in the executive uh, conference rooms as there is on the plant floor or among the sales force or any place else. They're just playing with more money. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I've also learned that uh, you never, ever see a weak leader with strong people around that leader. Uh, I I Mm -hmm. saw one guy who was profane and obscene and who would humiliate people. But the reason he got away with it was everybody around him was weak and would simply take it. They didn't think much of themselves. If they were strong, Mm -hmm. they simply would have left or confronted him. Uh, Conversely... Uh Uh, you, When you see strong, healthy leaders, you see strong, healthy people around them because they're not threatened by them and people want to work for them. And so you have this mm-hmm. cascade effect down through the organization. So uh, you always have to look to the top. You always have to look up to see what's going on. I've mm-hmm. also found that you don't find uh, an organization with unhappy employees and happy customers. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you want to keep your customers happy, you better keep your employees happy. And I don't right. mean, you know, by doing anything other than giving them latitude of action, treating them with respect, listening to them, and so forth. Uh, you know, there are some airlines you travel, and the airlines are always, always have great service. They have happy people. There are other airlines where, you know, it's simply a crapshoot. Uh, and some of these people are so unhappy with their own management, they take a hat on the passengers. And so we see this kind of thing every day.
2: Mm-hmm. I think you're right. The organizations do reflect what's happening within. They're very positive. you' have got a way to do customer service. Of course, customers going to be happy and want to come back and spread the word. But if it's a very unhappy staff, unhappy management, and close to the top down, you've some serious problems there to solve. So it'll eventually destroy the business. They really, really
1: dampen their effect. Okay. Right, exactly yeah. right. And uh, uh, yeah. and the customer becomes the brunt of it, and the customer goes elsewhere.
2: Exactly right. They lose it. Yeah. Then the board's not happy, and of course, the investors aren't happy. <laughs> so that's great. So, what do you think you could share with our audience about what you've learned from working at the top? I think it's really a fascinating time.
1: A lot of folks are really intrigued by that. What really goes
2: on behind those corporate doors?
1: Right. People assume that there's something special. You know, they assume that there's some kind of. I'm sorry, what uh, uh, now? Some kind of magic that goes on in there. But there really isn't. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I find some excellent people, some superb people. And I found some people who you have to wonder how on earth they got there. And that reflects on the you know the culture of the organization. It reflects on whether people um, succeed by taking risk and being visible, or they succeed by you know hiding under the table and being invisible. But if you look at the great companies, uh, you know you can see great leadership. If you look at Amazon, or you look at FedEx, or you know you look at Apple and companies like that, you see really outstanding leadership. Uh, It's not hard Mm -hmm. to detect, and it's no accident. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I work in places, all types of places, as well, and coaching and whatnot. It's just amazing me how it varies. You might have somebody come in, for example. I worked in various hostels where they had somebody come in who became the new CEO, and one guy in particular had almost no experience. He basically talked his way into the job. Huh. In a short period of time, he had basically wrecked the place. You know, we had about half the staff leave in frustration. It's just unbelievable. Huh.
1: I'm
2: sure you've seen that too, right?
1: Absolutely, I've, I've seen uh, good people make uh, good organizations. Bad people make good organizations into disasters. You're right.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. It really was a shocking thing. Anyway, folks, today we're here with Alan Weiss in his fascinating book, "Your Legacy Is Now." Really intriguing look about how to create your legacy through meaning every day. We get back to those topics here in a few minutes. We're gonna take a short break here for our sponsors. Folks, please stay with us. Dr. Ryan Dalrymple on Mind Shock with Alan Weiss, consultant, writer who has achieved some great things in life. we we'll have be back shortly with Alan. Hang in there, folks. Be right back.
0: Do you ever wonder how the mind works? The Endless Question, a film by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, shows you a new theory of mind, one that bridges the road between spirituality and science while revealing to you the laws of creativity, things that can open up your mind to limitless possibilities. It is literally a theory that changes everything, and once you know it, you can apply it to your own life. View The Endless Question for free on Amazon Prime. The Endless Question on Amazon Prime.
1: ASMC, the premier German company that supplies everything for adventure, from outdoor clothes to outdoor gear, even backpacks. Lots of quality and lots of specials. To start your adventure, go to HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on ASMC.
0: Paradise Found 2015 is a film that sparks of intrigue about the discovery of quantum field psychology. Throw in a sexy spy story, a conflict between father and son against the backdrop of NASA, and interspersed with World War II flashback combat scenes, and you'll be surprised to discover the foundation of a whole new theory of mind. Rent or buy Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com and prepare for the explosive conclusion. That's Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com. Reach your health and fitness goals. Whether you want to lose weight, learn to dance, build muscle, or just live healthy. Beachbody gives you unlimited access to the nation's most popular fitness and weight loss solutions. Visit our advertiser page and click on Beachbody now. A complete mind development course. The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple helps you develop your concentration, memory, imagination, and more, all to help you program your mind toward success. But it's not a boring read. You are taken on a journey with a young man who is trying to start his own business, and immerses himself into a journey of self-discovery. A powerful book that you can read again and again. Get The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple at Amazon.com. The Inner Manager at Amazon.com. Remember, positive impacts. www.healthylife.net.
2: Ron Dalrymple on Mind Shock. We have a fascinating guest, Alan Weiss, who had a really intriguing book. Called Your Legacies Now and a bunch of other books as well. 61. total, Right, Alan? 61 books and a lot of stuff Yeah, something up there. They're fifteen
1: languages, right?
2: There you go. I love that. I love that. I want to talk to you about the transformational experience, which I discovered back in the 1980s when I started writing screenplays. I was talking to some guys in, in Westwood and in near UCLA out of, uh, of Hollywood and whatnot, a lot of writers and Guys out there were teaching these race courses. I met some big shots in studios doing some screenwriting. And one of the great secrets out there was all about the transformational experience going back to, to Joseph Campbell, Man with a Thousand Faces. Now, these guys kept their secrets to themselves. It's since then, it's leaked out. A lot more books out about it, about how films and great stories are made. And, of course, it also applies to the psychological experience and the life journey somebody has to take. And that's why the type of structure in films and TV works. Can you tell us, please, about some of your experiences in seeing transformational changes in clients you've worked with?
1: Well, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting that uh, these have occurred over now a 30-year uh, career. But um, uh, I had a client who was um, CEO of a major uh, specialized pharmaceutical firm, and uh, I was uh, asked to coach him over a period of 90 days. And he was one of the best executives I've ever seen, Right. Uh, and uh, at the end of the 90 days, when we had our final debrief, I told him, you know, you can tweak this and tweak that, but basically, you know, you're as good as they get, and it's been a pleasure working with you. And as I left and I went to the door, uh, he did sort of a reverse Columbo, and he said, wait, Alan, just wait, one more thing. I turned around, and he knew I had worked with Merck uh, for 12 years at the time, and Merck had been uh, voted America's Most Admired Company five years in a row. And he said, do you think I could make it with Merck? And I was just dumbfounded, and I said to him, you know, of course you can make it a Uh But he was, he, was he was a bit taken by the imposter syndrome, uh, and he wanted further validation that he was really good. Uh, now, that might not be transformational, but I think after that moment, he had more of a confirmation than he had before that he was as good as he had hoped to be, and uh you know, I find that uh, when people are at that level, they often uh, don't get the kind of feedback they need every day, and they often live in a world that's not full of reality. And so they look to people on the outside to help them with that. You know, a- am I answering your question? right?
2: Yes. Yeah, I think it's, it's very important. He needs validation. He needs some positive reinforcement from you, an expert in the field, make himself feel better about himself to make the jump to go try something else. You know, the famous story about Dick Cavett. There's a famous TV guy back in the 60s. Dick was a very smart guy, very high IQ, but he also had a lot of anxiety. So the story was, before each show, the producers literally had to push him out from behind a curtain onto the, onto the stage. And once you got there, he was okay. Then he could deal with it, start telling his jokes, and got things rolling. But he had massive, massive anxiety attacks before each show. But it shows you, like what you're saying, like the imposter syndrome, People often have a low self-esteem, a low self-image, going back to childhood or school or the way we're treated in school or whatnot and so forth, or the way we treat ourselves through self-talk, as you mentioned. And then dealing well, with the outside world tends to have difficult things. task at times, especially high-stress situations, will really cause a lot of terror and anxiety. I'm sure you've seen yeah. a lot of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was coaching an executive who told me that when he had to speak to the press or the public or the shareholders, he had to get up on a stage, um, he perspired profusely for the first 10 minutes uh. to the point where he only wore dark blue shirts and dark blue suits because they didn't show perspiration as much. And he wanted me to help him with this because it was, it was just killing him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was that uncomfortable. And I said to him, does it happen all the time? And he said, no, about 10% of the time I'm fine. And I said, well, mm-hmm. describe the last time you were fine. And he told me that he was late. And um, he had a rush to the stage and was introduced and he went on. He told me another time, uh, he wasn't late, but he was backstage, and some of the stagehands started asking him about something. He talked to them, and then he was introduced, and he went on. And I said, your problem is you're not engaged before you go on. You just stand around worrying. And sure enough, Mm -hmm. I gave him some exercises to do and told him to make some acquaintances backstage, and he never perspired heavily again. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's why you need outside help, outside advice, outside counsel, to help you see things you can't
2: Exactly. Keep perspective. I mean it's kind of an amazing thing. To think about when you go out in front of, say, ten thousand people live, it's a natural reaction for folks to feel like. so even Bob Hope said that he'd have anxiety before a show, once you got out there he was fine. He and Ben would get out there and start hamming it up and whatnot. Once you get into it, but you're right, once you're engaged beforehand, it's an easy transformation to go out onto the stage without really thinking much about it. So you just step out there and keep doing what you're doing. It's really a good approach. I like that.
1: Yeah. You. You know, if you look at an yeah. actor who's just won an Oscar You know, they're having their picture taken and they have the Oscar, but what they're thinking is, will I ever work again? Because they were just given an award for being someone who they aren't.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was working with a uh, really famous writer. I won't mention his name to keep confidential, but this guy was a brilliant writer. He had gotten incredible awards for his work. And afterwards he was terrified about, again, the imposter syndrome, thinking, well, I I can never do this again. Anything I write after this won't be as good. And so he held himself back by that fear and anxiety. He had to overcome it by realizing, well, every time I write, i write the greatest thing I can. If it wins big awards, great. If not, it'll be the best I can do. More awards will come, not every time. You can't expect that, but you will get more awards. It doesn't matter. You're going to do great. You're a great writer. You're a great success. And once he got that idea in his head, he was okay. He kept sabotaging himself in between. Again, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the imposter syndrome. It's very common, isn't it? common thing the imposter
1: syndrome oh yeah I'm sorry I didn't know you were asking me yeah it is. well it's <laughs> in fact in 1985 a woman named dr. Yeah. Rose chance wrote a book called the imposter mm-hmm. phenomenon and she interviewed right. uh, leading entertainers uh, athletes business people uh, educators and so forth and she found that over 80% of them felt they were imposters and someday they'd be found out right. now that was mm-hmm. 1985 but you know 35 years later Uh, it still applies and uh, we're having a harder and harder time with it Uh, you know it's interesting when i wrote this book legacy your legacy is now Mm -hmm. it occurred to me that when you and i were younger uh we were compared to kids in our class kids in our neighborhood kids with who we played games and so forth but today Mm -hmm. uh because of the internet and because of you know global communication people are compared to the best the brightest the most beautiful the wealthiest the most accomplished Mm -hmm. and so forth and so people tend to feel inferior today Because instead of being compared to somebody sitting two seats over from them in school, they're compared to somebody who's a child prodigy on the piano or something. So uh, it's unfortunate because those are all the wrong Mm. wrong metrics. We shouldn't be competing against the best and most beautiful around the world. We should be competing in terms of what we want to accomplish ourselves.
2: That's a good point. That's a really good point. We see things on the Internet. We see things now globally. So you see the best in the world very easily in all kinds of professions try to compare ourselves to them and hold ourselves back unless we flip around and say, well, okay, they've done great things. I'm going to do great things also. It might be a little bit different approach. I have a different result, but I'm going to try my best believe in myself. And that's something to try and culcate into people to help them overcome. That, and of course, Alfred Adler talked about the inferiority complex. One of the original proteges of Freud, he said that everybody has inferiority because you grow up through life and you're stepped on you know, from grade school to middle school to high school to college to grad school to whatever, there's always somebody ahead of you, it seems, has more power over you, more control over you. And so we tend to constantly deal from that at the bottom of the deck feeling inferior. And it's a real, it's a lifetime mission at times to overcome that and realize that we can create in life exactly what we focus upon. And of course, in your book, you talk about creating meaning every day, create legacy every day by creating meaning every day, by what you do, by who you help, and who you lift up. Which we'll get back to in a few moments. Folks, and today we're here with uh, Alan Weiss. Got a great book out, folks, about legacy how to create legacy through meeting, through helping others, through looking up the world. So hang in there, folks. We'll be back with another segment with Alan Weiss. Right back, Dr. Ryan Dalrymple on Mind Shock.
0: a fun, stimulating program that can teach you how to develop your own powers of creation. It uses a three-part mind-stimulating approach to get you to develop your own creative thinking. It will help you create a powerful self-image and helps you see how you can take creative action. You'll develop your thinking power and your skills, and you can do this in eight days. Get Dr. Ron Dalrymple's book, Eight Days to Creative Power, on Amazon.com. Overcome your problems with this step-by-step guide. So get Eight Days to Creative Power on Amazon.com. Get high-quality glasses, sunglasses, and prescription lenses at eyeglasses.com. Choose from over 250,000 items and 400 brands. Already have frames? Get replacement lenses. It's easy. Go to our advertiser page and click eyeglasses.com. A complete mind development course. The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple helps you develop your concentration, memory, imagination, and more, all to help you program your mind towards success. But it's not a boring read. You are taken on a journey with a young man who is trying to start his own business and immerses himself into a journey of self-discovery. A powerful book that you can read again and again. Get The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple at Amazon.com. The Inner Manager at Amazon.com. Reach your health and fitness goals. Whether you want to lose weight, learn to dance, build muscle, or just live healthy, Beachbody gives you unlimited access to the nation's most popular fitness and weight loss solutions. Visit our advertiser page and click on Beachbody now. Do you ever wonder how the mind works? The Endless Question, a film by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, shows you a new theory of mind, one that bridges the road between spirituality and science while revealing to you the laws of creativity, things that can open up your mind to limitless possibilities. It is literally a theory that changes everything. And once you know it, you can apply it to your own life. View The Endless Question for free on Amazon Prime. The Endless Question on Amazon Prime. HealthyLife.net, the positive radio network.
2: Welcome back. Dr. Ron Dalrumpel on Mind Shock. A great guest today, Alan Weiss, and his fascinating book about legacy. Your legacy is now. Really a fascinating read. Read the book, enjoyed it very much, Like good insights to it. Alan, how are you doing? Welcome back.
1: I'm good. Thank you, Ron. Nice to be here today. Great, great. Glad
2: to have you here. It's our honor. i want to ask you now about in this segment some of the greatest legacies that you've seen in history. You mentioned a number of those in your book. Please tell the audience with some of the greatest examples of what you're talking about about legacy. Please go ahead.
1: Well, you know, legacy is about uh, how people look to you. It's about what you contribute. It's about uh, the standards that you set. It's about the the guidance that you provide for people, either overt or or covert, you know, either explicit or implicit. Uh, And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about the fact that, you know, these could be, in my case, my grammar school teachers. Uh, But if you look, uh, you know, we talked about Ted Williams before. We talked about Babe Ruth. Uh, If you want to look on the business side, Uh, You see people like Hewlett and Packard who start a company in their garage uh, Mm -hmm. and build it into a company that, uh, you know, its watchword was the HP way and they believed in employees and they treated people well. Uh, You saw how Steve Jobs, uh, in a different kind of a personality, uh, was absolutely maniacal about uh, providing people with a computer that was important and could be used simply but also was, was cosmetically attractive, you know, aesthetically attractive. Uh, we saw Bill. Ga- we see Bill Gates in that same industry now. He's got some troubles today, but uh, how he uh, uh, worked and worked and worked at coding and coding and, and at uh, technical expertise to build his kind of a company. Uh, and uh, if you look around, uh, there's uh, you know uh, Garibaldi. Or not Garibaldi. There's uh, uh, the fellow who started Bank of America uh, was an Italian immigrant, and he realized that his mm-hmm. Italian brethren. Uh, needed money and they couldn't get money from banks. Banks wouldn't deal with these Italian immigrants back then. They were discriminated against. And so he started loaning money and, and uh, at moderate interest rates and um, uh, he started Bank of America. Uh, hmm. And so, you know, we see examples of people who uh, set their sights on creating things uh, and have lasting impact on so many people. You know, um, uh, St. Jude's Hospital is an example of this, helping kids with diseases for free. Danny Thomas mm-hmm. was one of the big um, fundraisers for St. Jude's. Uh, and if we look around, we, you know, we see these examples of people who aren't just trying to be influencers on social media, who aren't trying to be, you know, quote-unquote celebrities, uh, but who are really trying to help others uh, through demonstrating what the right kinds of actions and the right kinds of beliefs can accomplish. Mm-hmm.
2: I think it's a great point that when your motivation is to help other people, you offer a service or product which is, there's already demand for, and which is better than the competition or delivered better or both, it's going to get a response. There's also points in time, make a point in your book that there's certain times in history when the time has come for a certain invention to come along or a certain product, even though it's not intended for us by an inventor or creator. It's not really foreseen, but simply evolves from necessity. Sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes it just comes out of nowhere. Tell us more about that.
1: Well, Often you know, times, they kind of the that together. Of the, yeah, you know, go ahead. Post-it notes was created, in super glue. And I just watched on the History Channel uh, how they figured out a new way to get the uh, ignition in cars. Uh, you know, back in the around uh, 1900 and, and things like that. So let me give you a more contemporary example. You know, there's a people think that there's a vacuum cleaner company called Dyson. Uh, but Dyson's not really a vacuum cleaner company. They're in, they're in the air movement business. And, you know, one day, pre-pandemic, I'm in O'Hare Airport in Chicago, and uh, I'm washing my hands in the restroom. And they have one of these air dryers there besides, you know, the paper towels. And I said, you know, these things never really dry my hands uh, adequately. But let me take a look. Well, I put my hands in there. And by the time I pulled them out, they were bone dry. And I said, who makes this? Well, it's Dyson. Uh, and I was in a very high-end hotel in Boston. And there was a, a hair dryer. It was so complex I couldn't figure out how to use it. So the front desk gave me instructions, told me where the, the controls were. And it, it was an excellent hair dryer. It was a Dyson. And so you have people like this who discover ways to do things and make them available to the public in a variety of different ways. Uh, the opposite of this is a, a brilliant guy, you know, um, who uh, invented the Segway, uh, and he has invented heart stents and. Really useful, important things. And he, he pictured everybody traveling around independently on these Segways. Uh, and, of course, it never, never took on ever. Uh, the only people who use them are some tour guides in Europe and, and people who work in big warehouses. <laughs> but, uh, and so, but, but good for him for trying, you know. And, and so we see, uh, we see people trying to bring things to the masses, try to bring things to make people's lives better. Uh, and that's really, really uh, estimable. It's really admirable.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a great example of that is Nick Tesla, who is not, not money-focused at all. In fact, he wanted to bring his ideas to the world, and he got ripped off, allegedly, by many different people he was involved with. But he didn't really care. Just the money didn't matter to him at all. In fact, one story is that there was a takeover attempt at Westinghouse by J.P. Morgan and his backers, and that Westinghouse came to Tesla and asked for, like, basically $10 bucks back, and Tesla just gave it to him. So that uh, West Ness could defend himself, he didn't really care, and broke living in a New Yorker hotel for the last 10 years of his life, died in 43, a friend of his owned a hotel, and he got a place to stay in three squares a day. During that time, he generated massive, massive research and ideas. So he's still creating to bring to the world. That was always his motivation, but he's not conscious of money at all. Whereas Edison, on the other hand, was very much money-focused money, money focused and was very smart with money. So some, really some really... Uh, differences there. How do you feel about
1: that? Well, I think that when people invent things, they have a right to make money from it. Uh, what I right. have a problem with is a CEO was boarded to an existing company and has paid $120 million because that's completely right. unnecessary. The company was already there. You could probably get somebody for $10 million to operate it very well. And uh, some of these CEOs are ridiculously overpaid. The, the, the multiple times an average worker to the CEO is obscene. But if you begin your own company, you know, if you're Fred Smith and you start FedEx, uh, you deserve to make whatever you can make because you took the risk and you started the company. And if you look at FedEx, you know, uh, it's it moved into an area where the post office was entirely unable to meet demand, which is delivering anything anywhere reliably the next day. And if you think about it, Ron, there are, you know, three kinds of innovation like this. There's opportunistic innovation where you see something and you you are triggered to do something that, it, that helps. There's conformist innovation, which is Uber. There's simply a taxi service, but they made, they made the service far better than any taxi service could be. And then there's non-conformist innovation, which is Jeff Bezos over at Amazon, where nobody ever conceived anything like this. You know, normally you'd think Sears Roebuck would morph into Amazon, but Sears Roebuck is bankrupt, and Amazon, well, Bezos is the wealthiest man in the world. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Different types of innovation, you know, at different times in different situations, people come along with a great idea and insight. It might happen by accident, They it brings them to the world, which totally changes the world. It turns it upside down. You see if Uber, then Lyft, then, of course, cab companies are competing back and forth. You mentioned that in your book they're adapting new techniques to try to compete. So it really shifts the world in various ways, doesn't
1: it? People have to have a vision. You know, they have to have a calling. Uh, There's this old uh, uh, saying that uh, you see a a mason laying bricks, and you say, What are you doing? I'm laying bricks. You go to another mason, and he says, I'm building a cathedral, which supposedly he'll do a better job because he has this big end in sight. But I think there's a third mason, and when you ask what he's doing, he says, I'm bringing people closer to God. So the first mason has a job, the second has a career, but the third has a calling. And going back to, to legacy, I think people who do best, who create the best legacy, have a calling, and they see that they're here on earth for some reason.
2: Mm-hmm. I think you're right. It comes from a higher calling, like you mentioned, like Mother Teresa, some of the great inventors, great spiritual people, great politicians even, great philosophers, great writers, great musicians, So bring to the world some new great ideas. Thanks we here today with Alan Weiss. His fascinating book on legacy. Alan, please tell the audience where we can find out more about you and your works and your webinars and so forth. Please tell where they can find you.
1: Thank you, Ron. You can go to alanweiss.com, A-L-A-N-W-E-I-S-S.com. You can sign up for my free newsletters, Monday Morning Memo, Million Dollar Mindset, Balancing Act, and so forth. You can sign up or visit my podcast on my blog on that site, which is The Uncomfortable Truth. That's my podcast. My uh, monthly uh, video, which is writing on the wall, and so forth and so on, all free. You can also find me on Twitter. Uh, and on LinkedIn and on Facebook and on a uh, myriad of other places where I show up. So uh, I'd be happy to have you visit and take whatever you can.
2: That sounds great, Al. Well, thanks a lot. I know you've got some other books in the works, and you have some books out on consulting and whatnot, and you cover a wide range of topics. I think folks should definitely check you out and learn a lot more from you. You have a lot to teach.
1: Well, I appreciate you saying that. It's a pleasure for me, and I enjoy working with people in that capacity.
2: That's great. Well, thank you very much for being here. It's our honor to have you here today as our guest. Thanks a lot, and best of luck in all your work.
1: Thank you, Ryan. You take care. Pleasure being with you.
2: Thank you. I'll take care.
1: God bless.
0: Paradise Found 2015 is a film that sparks of intrigue about the discovery of quantum field psychology. Throwing a sexy spy story, a conflict between father and son against the backdrop of NASA, and interspersed with World War II flashback combat scenes, and you'll be surprised to discover the foundation of a whole new theory of mind. Rent or buy Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com and prepare for the explosive conclusion. That's Paradise Lost 2015. At Amazon.com. If you want USA and worldwide car rentals, choose RentAcar.com. Free cancellations on most bookings, no hidden charges. They are trusted by over 4 million customers. Visit our advertiser page and click on the RentAcar banner. Do you ever wonder how the mind works? The Endless Question, a film by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, shows you a new theory of mind, one that bridges the road between spirituality and science while revealing to you the laws of creativity. Things that can open up your mind to limitless possibilities. It is literally a theory that changes everything. And once you know it, you can apply it to your own life. View The Endless Question for free on Amazon Prime. The Endless Question on Amazon Prime.
1: This is Jack Maher from the band Feed the Kitty. It's important to support the artists you love. And you can do that and get something authentic for yourself rock.com has the most coveted licensed merchandise of music culture and entertainment so go to the advertiser page and click on rock.com now
0: quantum field psychology second edition is an astounding book on the new theory of mind it is the first unified field theory that incorporates the influence of the mind and emotion on physical reality the universe and even other minds it actually integrates all modern psychology with quantum physics mathematics western and eastern spiritual beliefs it's the true bridge between science and spirituality get your copy of quantum field psychology second edition by dr ron dalrymple on amazon.com
1: radio your way healthylife.net
2: Ryan Dalrymple on Mind Shock. He's talking to Alan Weiss. did a fascinating book on legacy, about your legacy is now, about how you create your legacy as you go along through life. You create legacy through meaning, through helping others, through lifting people up. So the whole idea of legacy, from my point of view, is not about ego at all. It's about what we create for people to remember us by necessarily, because many of the great people who create legacies in the world are anonymous. But it's about lifting up the human race. We can see as some of the greatest people in history, have, have done so, as Alan was talking about, by a higher motivation, like Mother Teresa and the great spiritual leaders who are very much focused upon trying to help others. It's not about them. It's not about ego at all. Bring ego into it, you knock things off course. Now, think about Nikola like, Tess again. He's always a great example of somebody who's devoted to helping mankind. He created create a vast number of inventions, like over 700 patents and so forth, which were amazing and he had really no consciousness or very little of money. He didn't really care about money. He ended up broke, so that was really unfortunate. But What he did was he changed the world in very, very profound ways. So he created his legacy through meaning, through giving to the world. Another great example we talked about briefly was Ted Williams. Ted Williams was a great baseball player, and he studied very scientifically. He sat in front of a mirror, I was talking all about, and practice his swing, get the exact swing right for any kind of a, a fastball, curve, slide, or whatever coming at him. But he'd also studied some physics, and he realized that force is mass times acceleration. So in this, he jumped to a higher level of realization. He jumped to a higher level of thought. He wasn't just looking at the mechanics of it at a concrete level. He was applying a higher level of physics and mathematics to what he was doing. And what he'd do is he'd snap his wrist at the last moment. He'd move his body. He'd twist his body to the waist, which is also what people do in martial arts. So he jumped to higher level realization to make the discovery that if he did this, he put a lot more force into the hit. And of course he was a great home run king and great hit. He had a record for like 400, you know, 401, what not uh, one season, really amazing. Now Edison also is well known for this type of thing where he, he tried, according to one story, this has been disputed recently, some claimed that he didn't really invent the light bulb, he just bought the patent, so whatever happened. The one story, though, is very educational. That is, he, he tried some 5,000 times on different types of filaments, and they didn't work. And he was attacked by a press, and one young man said to him, Mr. Edison, don't you realize you're a laughingstock of the world? People are laughing at you, making fun of you. And that he went back, and he said, Well, young man, what you understand is how science works. I haven't failed 5,000 times. I've identified 5,000 things which don't work. So he went back and tried 5,000 more things, and still had not found a filament to work. So, according to one story, he went into a bar in Orange, New Jersey, where he had his laboratory. He was there just having a drink. And back in those days, these guys wore these long tails. They had these huge fireplaces to heat the place up, and he fell back. This one gentleman at the bar fell back, a little intoxicated into the fire. His coattails were on fire. A bunch of guys stood on in the floor and put out the fire. So that's when goes, aha, and ran back to the laboratory and solved the problem. What he realized was, well, if you lower the oxygen content, you know, lower the burn rate, you apply it to a filament. Back then, the vacuum tube already existed, so he put the filament inside a vacuum tube, lowered the amount of oxygen, so the filament would burn a lot more slowly. So again, he jumped to another level, to another dimension. He's working on one set, one level, one set of dimensions to, to make things work. Didn't work. So he jumped to a different dimension, incorporating the idea of the atmosphere the filament was burning in to figure out and solve the problem. It's really very intriguing because many people saw this way. In fact, Tesla allegedly was ill one time in New York. He would he would work from 3 o'clock in the morning until 11 p.m. didn't want to waste time sleeping anymore than he had to. So, four hours a night, but worked 20 hours a day. So, he drove himself relentlessly. And so, he'd get sick quite often. He'd get ill. He'd collapse for the last couple of months of the year. One time, I he's walking through New York City and he was in this really strange state of mind, like an awkward state of consciousness from the fatigue and the exhaustion, and he was thinking about the Earth spinning around through the geomagnetic field, at just like a, a globe spinning through, or a motor spinning through, the magnetic field of electric motor. So he thought, well, hmm, perhaps we can create an alternating current instead of a direct current that Edison had been using, and which only traveled so far, was is very, very expensive. Alternating current can travel unlimited distances and comes back to its source. It's much more powerful, works much more efficaciously. So that's how you got the idea of alternating current. So getting jumped to a different level of realization and insight to make that discovery. So very often great discoveries come from accessing that superconscious mind within. First the subconscious mind. Then beneath that, according to various theoretical approaches, is the superconscious mind. We're how to access that through relaxation, meditation, yoga, whatever, allows us to tap into those higher ideas. Which then helps us make changes in the world, come up with inventions. We talked about before how Mozart would do the same thing. Mozart would work on a new symphony. You might sit down and write out all the music, say, for the brass section. You write all, I don't want all the instruments. Think about that. Write music perfectly, note perfect, without hearing it played, is all through his mind's ear. Another time you write down, say, for the wind instruments, for the string instruments, you write an entire symphony from his mind's ear because he said he could hear it in his head. He'd say, oh, Can't you hear that? You write it down perfectly. Think about that. Writing an entire symphony for all the instruments just by hearing it in your mind's ear. Now most folks need to practice the piano, do trial and error, see what it sounds like, and work it out that way, which works also, but much, much slower. It's a higher level of perception. you will access those higher levels of mind to pull down what the superconscious mind will offer us. So it really is amazing. Some of the great successes in the world, whether they're in business or science or creativity, or whatever, learn how to deeper relax, go into that meditative state to access higher levels. stories told about Edison as well who would do this. In fact, I live right across the river from the Edison Museum and Estate in Fort Myers. It's where he would spend the winter time. So he'd come down here with Ford and other folks and Harvey Firestone, and they'd work on inventions and so forth, so it's a place of great inspiration. And he was supposed to crawl into various cupboards when uh, Bill Clickers came around, though that's sure or not, I probably shouldn't put that out there, but he'd go into various cupboards and go into meditative states to access creative ideas. This has been found throughout history, and supposedly, K. Thule had that idea as well when working on the structure of the carbon atom. Ideas came from that deep state. So it's happened throughout history, and many people going into the subconscious or the superconscious mind find these higher ideas. So the idea we put forth in quantum field psychology is that in the world of abstract thinking, abstract thought above the concrete world, where we access these various thought forms, in other words, the germination of the ideas just at a much higher level. Become concrete or put into material form the concrete level of thought and go into the physical world when we apply desire to it and action and give it a focal point in the physical world to make it manifest. So we have the abstract idea or abstract thought, bring it down to the concrete level to build it into form and thought, and we bring it down to the physical world with desire and action to make it actually manifest. So it starts with a, a general access. So we all can access those higher levels as a point. We all have the ability. It's done through deep relaxation, meditation, doing yoga, or simply by concentration. You learn how to concentrate deeply upon a subject. Your inner mind will access those higher thoughts and it will pop down to you. We study intensely many different fields. What we talk about in terms of polymath analysis, polymath will look at a certain field and study all the aspects of it that they can, look at the functions of it, what makes it work, and apply it to a different field. It's the same thing there another polymath analysis, like, say, physics and medicine, or physics and psychology, to get new creative ideas. That's where quantum field psychology came from, applying math and physics to the different fields of psychology. I came up with a book in 2004 called quantum field psychology, which I wrote up in the Italian Alps. We really have a fascinating, beautiful place. We have other books about this topic. In earlier form, a quantum field psych is the inner manager. These books are on the Amazon, also on our website. They're being put on our website, I should say, which is Dr. number 2com www.korandarical2.com. You find all the books, or at least you will soon be put up there. Some great issues happen with Amazon. Things are changing there. Another earlier book we had is Eight Days of Creative Power, how to tap into the creative powers of your higher mind in a very scientific and artistic manner. And also, I Love You God, how to focus on higher divine ideas, bring ideas down to the world. We put these concepts into our film, The Endless Question which is on Amazon Prime. It's free. It's a two-hour documentary, The Endless Question. Really a fun film about these ideas, so we hope you'll find it there. We have new work coming out called Taming the Menagerie, Mind Games People Play. That's all about the opposition in life, the adversaries try to block and sabotage us, folks play mind games in the business world and the social world. This book is all about that. So, folks, again, Dr. Ron Dalrymple with his day on Mind Shock. We had Alan Weiss, really fascinating guys. Stick with us. We have a lot of fascinating guests coming up. Please check out those books and works, and think those high thoughts all the time. Think those positive thoughts that think about lifting the human race, because we need it now more than ever. So thanks a lot again, Dr. Ron Darrow for Mind Shock signing off. See you next time. Take care and God bless.